This is episode number 425 with IBM fellow Rama Akkiraju. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today and now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, everybody. Super excited to have you back here on the show, and I'm super excited for the conversation that you're about to hear. I totally enjoyed talking with Rama. Uh, Rama is uh, an IBM fellow. She's been at IBM for uh, 23 years. She's an IBM master inventor and an IBM Academy member. During her time at IBM, Rama has worked on some outstanding, very interesting uh, projects, including the IBM Watson, where she was a director of research and development. Yes, exactly, that Watson that uh, beat humans at uh, the game of Jeopardy almost 10 years ago. Also, um, Rama is involved with the Watson platform and has a lot of insights to share about how AI has matured over the years and what to expect next. In this fascinating conversation, uh, here are some of the topics that we discussed. We talked about unstructured data, IBM Watson, the Watson platform, skills to consume AI services, a very interesting and important topic because a lot of companies like IBM are packaging up their AI services. So it's important to know what kind of skills are required in order to consume these AI services, in order to help enterprises consume these AI services. Clarity of purpose, time to value, accuracy, life cycle of AI models. Uh, all this was backed along the way with a, uh, an ex a sample case study of a fast food chain. Um, we also talked about tools, setting expectations, the future of AI, and at the end we discussed ethics of artificial intelligence. Lots of very interesting topics, very important topics, um, and they are all, you're going to hear about all of them from somebody who's been in this industry for a long time who has seen it all and has great insights to share. This episode will be useful to you if you're at any level of your data science journey or if you're a manager or executive at, at an enterprise. So with that note, can't wait for you to check it out. Without further ado, I bring to you IBM fellow Rama Akhiraju. Uh, welcome back to the Super Day Science Podcast, everybody. Super excited to have you back here on the show. And today we've got a very special guest calling in from San Jose, Rama Akiraju. How are you going, Rama? I'm doing very well, Kirill. Thanks very much for having me on your show. Yeah, very excited to have you on the show. And uh, um, congrats on the puppy, <laughs> as you shared with me before the podcast. That's so cool. Four months old. Yes, four months old, keeping us yeah. on our toes. Yeah. Um, He's a pandemic you puppy, you know. <laughs> pandemic puppy. How many children do you have? I have one. One child? And so yeah. what made you decide to get a puppy as well? Well, she, my daughter is the one who really pushed us to get one. <laughs> mm. So. And it's a Shih Tzu, right? Yeah, it's a Shih Tzu. It's a okay. really adorable. 
Okay, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, what's the name? His name is Scout. Scout. Very cool. Um, well, uh, hope Scout's having fun. And it's good that uh, you're able to take him for walks even during the pandemic. Yeah, he'll yep. get cooped up otherwise. <laughs> yeah, crazy. And we um, get cooped up too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, how's... Uh, is are things uh, getting better with the pandemic like with this the vaccine has been announced is it uh it, is it like hope looking hopeful in the united states well it, to the contrary the cases are rising and things are mm. getting worse and the second wave is uh is is going on right now so in fact there are more um you know cautions and uh suggested curfews and lockdowns in many places all across the country so we just have to ride it through, you know, the second wave and and hope for the vaccines to be more generally available and uh, get vaccinated. And hopefully also there are no major side effects with those vaccines. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. It's going to take yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, well, as you say, we can only wait and see. Um, there's a lot of a lot of smart people figuring this out all around the world. So it's good. Yeah, thanks to all the, the pharmaceutical researchers who are working around the clock to find vaccines for it, right? Absolutely. Uh, and a lot of uh, data science involved as well. I spoke with uh, one of the data scientists on this podcast who is in charge of the data pipeline for the COVID consortium project. And it's very interesting how like the skills we talk about um, uh, and the skills like we apply in business normally can be used in crisis situations like this one. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally see that and I understand, you know, there is a lot of data science in there and a lot of disciplined processes, disciplined way of collecting data, cataloging, testing, uh, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of uh, data and data science, uh, you've been at IBM for, uh, I this is a, a pretty much all my career <laughs> number of years. Twenty three years at IBM. That is uh, like congratulations! What what an incredible career, and you've grown through the uh, different positions there. How's how's your experience been? And and more like very interesting for me is you were at IBM before data science was a thing, and then you are at IBM after data science. You know, like two thousand ten, two thousand twelve, when data science really like became. Uh, the thing like the big thing what what's changed in the world or, or in your work before and after do you see like the like a big difference or was it very gradual and um smooth well you know analytics were always there right mm -hmm. whether it was you know doing mathematical modeling um or um algorithms for solving problems you know ma manufacturing supply chain had a lot of analytical algorithms, especially operations research was being applied um, quite a bit to optimize manufacturing and supply chain processes. So they were always there and there was a lot of, um, uh, you know, mathematical modeling and all, you know, AI, iterative refinement algorithms, you know, A star search type of algorithms and all of those kind of things. I think what has changed now is um, um, that our, our ability to tap into unstructured data, right? Because mm -hmm. we now have with the advent of, you know, the cloud compute and um, uh, the advancements in machine learning algorithms, it's, it makes it possible for us to do natural language processing at scale, 
because we have enough compute now and the algorithms are efficient enough. So suddenly what has the world of unstructured data analysis opened up and mm -hmm. that is the new opportunity with, with this whole AI and data science, right? It's, it was there, data mining, you know, we were looking at the clicks, web clicks and all that when e-commerce and internet uh, boom has happened. Uh, but there was all, that was all kind of very structured data, mm -hmm. right? Still the number of clicks, you know, what they bought, what they purchased and, you know, the patterns around it. And, you know, there was a lot of data mining and still a lot of analytics. But now we we can tap into all the enterprise documents. We can tap into social media conversations. We can tap into, you know, large volumes of healthcare um, journals and um, articles and doctor's notes and uh, legal notes and all kinds of stuff. And and we can tap into the insights that that data gives. And when you combine that with the, you know, the previous generations and of course, even today's generations continuing ability to do data analysis on structured data, you now have more deeper, richer insights. And that's the opportunity that I see. And that that is what I, I have seen, you know, back when I was working on, you know, um, AI, iterative refinement algorithms and, uh, operations research type of things for manufacturing and supply chain to, you know, through the waves of e-commerce um, and, uh, you know, the analytics around e-commerce, you know, customer CRM analysis now to um, tapping into unstructured data. And there was a landmark, I would say, in this whole thing as to what opened up the floodgate. And that was... Um, um, the Jeopardy, the game of Jeopardy that IBM had hosted, right? Uh, mm -hmm. In which it it had shown that, of course, it was a it's a great combination of compute and analyzing natural language data to answer or to uh, pose questions for answers. Mm -hmm. But uh, that is the one that's kind of a landmark uh, moment, I would say, in in this journey that suddenly kind of opened things up for everybody. Before that, I would say, yes, I mean, Google search and, you know, as in general search has been a huge uh, um, uh, wave and that continues to be so in, in solving our problems and that kind of builds the bridge. But to bring it to, I would say, to specific use cases and enterprises beyond search, I would say that Jeopardy was kind of the, the, the landmark moment. Hmm. This is where... Uh, IBM Watson beats human players at uh, the game of Jeopardy. The game of uh, Jeopardy, right? Yeah. Which is uh, uh, question, answer question <laughs> yeah. uh, game. Yeah, famous moment. It, it was a while ago, right? What year was it? Do you remember? Two thousand. I don't want to. Let's look it up. Wrong. Twenty twelve yeah. or twenty thirteen, <laughs> something like that. I think. Uh, twenty. Uh, looks like twenty uh, eleven or yeah, I think it's like. Or 2013. You're right. It's not not clear. But a long time ago, right? Almost 10 years ago, yeah, which is uh, which is very interesting. And also, in addition to that, I heard of uh, a, a case when um, somebody, like uh, I think, a woman had cancer, and no doctor was able to diagnose her what kind of cancer she had. And that same IBM Watson that won the game of Jeopardy by going through all this unstructured data and all these reports which would be very hard for any one human to know at the same time, like right, this disparate knowledge around the world about different types of cancer and different symptoms. 
uh, IBM Watson was able to, to diagnose uh, this lady with exactly the type of cancer that she had, which was a rare type of cancer. And from there, that uh, made it possible to dis- decide what was the correct treatment. And so that, that was like even more mind blowing for me because, you know, Jeopardy is a, is a game, which is a big uh, accomplishment. It's like a big PR accomplishment. But here it's actually helping somebody um, with their healthcare. And um, as far as I understand, you worked on the IBM Watson project as well. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I that's the, the healthcare part of IBM's Watson. Um, that was one of the first, I would say, attempts at taking what was Jeopardy technology uh-huh. to, to really apply it to an enterprise use case. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we learned, we as IBM ha- have learned um, interesting lessons from that episode uh, because there was a lot of, um, lot of expectations and the reality of AI is, you know, is somewhere else. There were some very successful um, outcomes and there were some from which we learned significant lessons. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know it takes um hard work it takes a lot of right kind of data and it takes setting right expectations with our customers about you know the capability of these ai models on day 1 versus what it takes um in terms of the life cycle management of these models and all that so yeah it's the, the success stories especially when they uh, positively impact humans lives of course, is something to celebrate. So we're very happy about that. So what the, the work that I did in Watson is um, um, around modeling people. So this is understanding people's various aspects, such as their personality traits, their communication tones, their emotions, sentiments, so that we can personalize engagements for people, be it in chatbots when you are say interacting when a, when a human is interacting with a chatbot how can those conversations be personalized or in uh, uh, social media monitoring type of scenarios where you would like to scan social media content and understand what are people saying about different products what are their sentiments and those sort of things or in uh, public relations type of scenarios where you want to understand when a CEO of a company or you know a CFO is putting out statements, can those be analyzed to feel one way or the other about what, what they are saying about the company and what is what might be the, the sentiment towards the the you know the, what, where the company is headed next and those sort of things. And in general about communications uh, about, between people or um, chat between chatbots and and uh, humans, what are the communication tones? Are they frustrated at this point in time? Are they happy with the way the call is going? Um, does human intervention is human intervention needed at this point, given how you know the call is going and those sort of things? You know, so all things related to these are all some of the use cases for the work that we had done. But it's all about understanding people, and we call that area uh, people insights. Excuse me. In in the area of um, human computer interaction, it's called user modeling, mm-hmm. basically. So that's that's the area that I worked on in Watson. So the, what you will see on um, Watson platform 
or services such as uh, uh, personality insights, mm-hmm. which uh, detects people's personality traits, and uh, sentiment analysis, emotion analysis, and communication tone analysis called tone analyzer. So these are the the four services, AI, AI, AI-based services that um, my team and I, we have worked on while I was at Watson. Wow, that's very interesting. I hope you're enjoying this episode. We'll get back to it after this quick break. And the Confident Data Skills Edition 2 is out. This is the second edition of the book I published in 2018. Uh, Some time has passed since then. A lot of things have changed in the space of artificial intelligence and data science. If you're not familiar with the book, then it helps develop an understanding of all of the main data science algorithms and the data science process on an intuitive level. So no code, no complex mathematics, just intuitive explanations of the algorithms and useful practical examples and case studies. This book will be extremely helpful for you if you're starting out or if you're looking to cement in that intuitive feeling for the algorithms as you progress through your career. Specifically, you will learn about decision trees, random forests, k-nearest neighbors, naive bays, logistic regression, k-means clustering, hierarchical clustering, reinforcement learning, upper confidence bound, and Thompson sampling. And in this second edition, I also added robotic process automation, computer vision, natural language processing, reinforcement learning and deep learning, and neural networks. Plus, of course, you will learn extremely valuable skills for your career, such as ethics and AI, presentation skills, data science interview tips, and much more. So if you want to get a grip and really cement in your intuitive understanding of this field, then this is the book for you. And you can get it on Amazon already today. It's called Confident Data Skills Edition 2, and it's a purple book. So enjoy, and let's get back to the podcast. It's a... Actually, very cool to hear because I've seen this Watson platform and I've um, uh, actually used it as a case study in one of my presentations about AI and natural language processing. So I never... I oh, was, really? Which, very, which service was that? Um, I just talked about AI Watson platform and how there was an example of a company, I think it was like, um, uh, I might be mistaken, like some... AutoCAD, the creators of AutoCAD or some company where, where the design designers are using uh, their software and they had like, um, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of uh, support queries per day that they needed to address. And then they used the IBM Watson platform to um, automate that. And they were able to um, bring the time, the average response time from like several days to under five minutes and uh, process many more queries and so on. So like you have a case study of that on, on the website and I was very inspired by that. So I used that in one of my presentations, but it's really cool to see that, um, you need to be talking with the creator or with one of the people that was working on these, um, on the IBM Watson platform. Yeah. As I said, there are many, many, um, capabilities, many services in the Watson platform. There are there is the the Watson Assistant, which is the the chatbot service. There is the Watson Discovery, which allows you to ingest enterprise content and uh, get insights from it. And then there is the what is called the natural language understanding suite of services, which include extraction of entities in a given text document, extraction of sentiments, emotions, mm-hmm. concepts, and those sort of things. 
And then there is the speech to text, text to speech. Um, and then there is the personality insights and such. And as I said, this, all of these services constitute Watson platform. And the ones that I have personally worked on are the ones that I just mentioned, like the personality insights, tone mm -hmm. analyzer, sentiment and emotions. Okay, gotcha. So it's quite a big platform. And I, I've got the, I think I got the uh, example somewhere here. Um, uh, no, I don't have the example here. Um, anyway, um, very, very, it's very interesting. And, uh, and so it's basically any company can come and start using the IBM Watson platform to, to their benefit, right? So it's, it's quite a fast process to get up to speed. Is that right? Yeah, it's, so the idea there is that AI services are a set of building block services that, mm -hmm. you know, that are available to everybody that you can use to build whatever business application you want to build, right? It could mm -hmm. be a chatbot application. It mm -hmm. could be that you want to build a specific, you know, um, scenario where um, you are applying speech to text in, you know, translating um, some audio documents into text documents, um, mm -hmm. right? Uh, um, so different kinds of scenarios, depending on your scenario, you can bring in these different foundational services, assemble them and put your application together and deploy it. Mm -hmm. There are, in addition to what are, what are offered on Watson platform, you can do many more things with AI, of course, right? I mean, you 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 can infuse AI into IT operations management, for example. You can infuse AI into security management. You can infuse AI into, um, you know, financial services uh, related use cases and so on. So it could be applied to many different types. What we had built in Watson platform was the foundational set of services. On top of it, depending on the industry, depending on the use case, there could be more specific AI-based solutions that can be built, mm -hmm. either by clients themselves, by leveraging some of the foundational services, or by vendors. And in some cases, IBM itself is building those higher level AI-infused solutions and applications so that clients in those industries, those use cases don't have to do it themselves. So for example, let's take IT management. IT management has many aspects, right? It, it could have, it could be about managing the outages and incidents, right? When a system becomes unresponsive or excess traffic and it's, it needs to be scaled up and, um, you know, any number of those things. Or it could be, the software development process optimization itself where code is written, but there are some vulnerabilities in the code, security vulnerabilities, and you could apply AI to detect those and give you early signals about where the risks are and um, give you suggestions on how to improve code so that things don't get bad. Mm -hmm. Similarly, in the, so in, in the other parts of software development lifecycle, you can look at the deployments of applications and say, hey, this deployment is highly risky because it's got these configuration changes which have been noted to be highly problematic. When you deploy these kind of changes in the past, whenever you did that, you know, major outages occurred, right? So there are different kinds of predictions you can do. And this is one example in IT domain. There are others in security domain, in 
in financial services domain of course in healthcare domain and so on so there is there are the foundational services for basic understanding of the text images voice um in those type of things which form the foundations for processing all this enterprise data and then on top of it you have the actual problems to solve for which you would build your own models and underneath you may use any of these building block services depending on the kind kind of data right if you are working with images or if you are working with uh, audio or unstructured text mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay uh, it sounds useful when it's created but if for example i'm a um, manager or business owner or entrepreneur listening to this I might be like confused or or it might be a, a bit like overwhelming. Okay, how how do I do this? Okay, there's this IBM platform, Watson platform. How do I go there? How do I connect to it? Do I need API? Do I need this and that? Uh so it's quite like a lot of um I think it feels like there's a barrier to uh start using it. So the question I had is what kind of skills does an organization need to have on board in order to be able to interact with this IBM Watson platform and i think this question will will be useful not just to uh, managers and executives who might want to use something like the IBM Watson platform but also to data scientists who are listening who uh it will be guidance in order to okay what what uh, skills do i need to add to my portfolio to be that enabler for enterprises in order to interact with these uh kind of like plug and play Uh, ready-made AI solutions out there. Yeah, it's a very good question. Um I would say actually let's not make it very specific to Watson platform alone. Mm-hmm. In general, how do you consume AI services, right? Mm-hmm. That is the question at heart because there is nothing that is specific to Watson services that is either extremely um better or worse because it's it's really everybody out there packages them every ai service excuse me as a containerized piece of software that is deployed in kubernetes made available either as a software as a service saas service or if clients uh, prefer it to be on prem deploy it on prem right you still packaged and containerized and all that so that that part of really microservice based architecture and accessing apis either as saas or on prem is the same across the board in the industry every vendor follows the same approach every company who is building these ai services and delivering them to us their customers uses the same approach so there is nothing that significantly better or worse um, that is specific to watson there um what is really the at the heart of the question that you asked is what does it take to consume an ai model and derive value out of it would you agree is that at the core of your question yes okay so then let me uh, state it in the following way there are actually many considerations first one is whoever is building it have to have clarity of purpose right why are they building this ai model whose problem is it solving and when i build it do i make sure that this model is um first of all is is this model that is pre-trained or does it need to be trained with the data that client provides in their environment right if it is a pre-trained model where say for example speech to text model 
I, in order to provide an English un- speech-to-text model, the builder of the speech-to-text model has to train it with thousands of hours, you know, at least 1,000, ideally 2,000 or so hours of audio data with various accents for people speaking in English from various accents, different parts of the geography, and, and so on for it to be robust. But then I say clarity of purpose because let's say that this, this speech-to-text system is going to be deployed in um, a drive-through um, fast food ordering r- retail company, okay? What are the, they don't, in that setting, people who are ordering food via drive-through setup are not going to use long sentences with a lot of um, uh, grammar in it and all that. It's it's very specific. A menu is given, they're ordering specific items. There's a lot of background noise, maybe dog barking in the back of the car or children crying in the back of the car and you know ambient noise in the environment. The speech-to-text model has to really do well in for that use case, right? So when you say, and I, when I say clarity of purpose, of course you have to have a speech-to-text model that is good in understanding general English terms, but it's more important in that case for it to be specific and useful in that context that it understands that menu, it understands how people speak in those with those background noises and all that, right? So when you build a model for that purpose, the it, the, clar- the purpose have to be has to be clear for a data scientist so that they can train it with the right kind of data and make sure that when it is deployed in that particular setting, that when somebody is ordering burgers, fries, and you know milkshakes and this and that, it understands that terminology, right? So that's one thing. I'm just giving that as an example, but that applies just the same to take it to healthcare domain, take it to contract understanding domain, and you know there are specific terms and specific things that are applicable to specific industries and domains. So having a clarity of that is super important. And that's what, first of all, makes the model more usable and relevant. Okay, that's first thing. And if it's pre-trained, if it is pre-trainable, like in the case of speech-to-text, it might be pre-trainable um, because you say, okay, it's going to be for a fast food center and you know these are the typical kind of things that they make in the menu and so on. So clarity of purpose. Second time, it's so now we come to the client um, who is who's buying that, AI model, let's say. Um, so the, let's say this fast food company is is purchasing this AI model that is able to understand the spoken speech of customers who are ordering this fast food, and they're deploying it in their in their um, restaurants, um, in their fast food centers. They now need to have clarity on how long is it going to take for them for this AI model to be reliable enough for them to deploy it more broadly across all their you know, uh, fast food centers, right? Initially, they'll do a POC, right? Any Anybody who wants to try it out, test it out. I mean, you don't deploy a new AI model system um, just like that, right? So they'll do a POC. So the proof of concept, you know, maybe three months uh, or six months, or, or, you know, maybe on 10, 20 uh, fast food centers. Then you you get, kind of understand where the system is good at in recognizing the orders and where it's making mistakes and you know and give feedback to the system and part of that feedback is you say you know this prediction or you said you noted you transcribed 
you know, this order to be, you know, fries when it was not fries. When it, when they said burger, it, you know, you actually miss, um, uh, mistook it to be something else and those sort of things, right? So you give feedback to the system. The system then takes that, retrains the models and um, retrains from the new accents that it is seeing and all that and improves its model. Over a period of, say, maybe after, you know, three, four months of POC time with all this feedback going and all that, system now starts to get fine-tuned very well to that specific accent, specific background noises, and and the feedback with the feedback given. That's the time to value, right? So companies who are consuming this have to be prepared. I'm not saying that every AI model needs to have, go through that three to six months. I'm just giving that one example so we can talk it through. You with me? Yep. Yeah. So this is the time to value. So they need to understand. In some cases, it may be out of the box. It may just work just fine. And it may be usable, you know, usable just with some training from their own environment. But in some cases, it could be this. So understanding what it takes, what is the time it takes for this AI model to start delivering value for me at the level of accuracy that I desire, right? Even if you deploy it, you may still get it wrong because even humans who are taking orders sometimes mix up things, hmm. right? Because because when there is too much noise in the background and all that, it's hard. And sometimes, you know, you get two orders of rice or sometimes you get uh, you, your burger is missing, right? It, that happens. So you can't expect uh, an AI system to be perfect all the time. So, but there's some level of accuracy requirement that you may set saying at least, you know, 90% of the time, 95% of the time it has to be good. You know, is that acceptable or you does it have to be 97%, uh, right? You know. Three orders in hundred orders are going to get bad. You know, customers are going to be unhappy. Are you? Is that something that you really are comfortable with or not? Right. Those are the decisions that um, you, the con the consumers of the AI model have to make because it's not guaranteed to be perfect. So that's the time to value, and also the accuracy aspect. Then there is the data, which is how much data is needed for this AI model or solution to train and to get to value. Right, and how many audio samples from my order, you know, customers who are giving orders, should I provide to the system as part of the initial training? And where do I put this data? You know, do you have to hire those uh, people who are willing to give those orders in a setup type of a setup, right? And they have to, you have to acquire that data legally. In some cases, the companies may have all the data that they need. It may just be a matter of Cleaning it, I wouldn't say it lightly, actually. Cleaning, organizing, and analyzing data is a huge part of uh, getting data ready for AI. And we call at IBM this actually as an AI ladder. That, right? You first collect data, then you cleanse it, you, you organize it, then you analyze it, and that's when you're ready to actually use that data to do AI. Anyway, so all of these things around data, where, do you get, where does the data reside? How long does it take to aggregate or assemble it? Who owns that data? What is the governance and compliance of that data? What is the lineage of this data? Do we need to label it? And in many cases, you know, in this particular example of speech to text one that I'm carrying through, uh, you may have to label it, right? I mean, you, customers are giving orders with a lot of background noise and you you transcribe it, let hu set hu humans to transcribe it for you and you feed that as, as the additional training data to the pre-built speech to text system and so on. So that's the data part. So I talked about clarity of purpose first from the builder's side. Then I talked about consumers of the AI models having clarity on the time to value, right? How long does it take? And then the data part of it, how much data do I need to give it in order for it to deliver value to me? 
Then there is the skills part of it, right? Are data scientists needed to manage the life cycle of these AI models? When I say life cycle, what do I mean? I mean, these users have to give feedback, right? I said, you know, it, it could be making mistakes. You have to give it feedback for it to be learning from the mistakes that it's making. Um, does that have to happen like forever? Would somebody have to keep on teaching it? You know, frankly speaking, we don't know because really how many AI systems are out there that have been in production for multiple months or years and have reached a level of um, level of um, accuracy that's comfortable, uh, that's acceptable to the users and and it has plateaued in its learning that it's not learning anymore. It does make mistakes occasionally, but it's not learning anymore. Do we have examples of that? Maybe, maybe not. The, the thing is that I say that because it's fairly new. Many companies are still exploring, experimenting with it. In some industries, things have progressed more than in others. In healthcare domains, for example, you know, many of the AI systems that special purpose companies or IBM or others have built are in production and have been through multiple generations and such. So maybe in some domains, it's, it's reached that level of maturity where it has gone through those multiple iterations of improvements and has reached a level that is stable. But in many other cases, it's in early days. So do users have to give feedback all the time, forever? Um, not clear, right? I mean, it, initially, you definitely have to give it feedback until it gets to a point. But after that, it may occasionally still make mistakes, especially when it starts to see data that it hasn't seen in its training. It may make mistakes. So in such cases, doing very disciplined dis error analysis and knowing where it's making mistakes and giving it feedback would be helpful. So what I'm saying is that the skills that are required to, to give the, as a subject matter expert, giving feedback and the skills that are required to ensure that you are doing error analysis on these models and are in a disciplined way looking at where it's making mistakes. There may be tools and reporting and all that around AI models for doing all of these things, but somebody has to look at it and steer it in certain direction. And again, automation tools and AI platforms are offering more and more of these things. Still, some amount of skills are required. So companies who are consuming it would have to know um, some amount of AI and how it um, AI terms, at least, what is accuracy, what is precision, what is recall, what are the trade-offs, how to give feedback, and how, when it, how is how is a new model built, how to deploy the new model, and all of those things. So skills is an important factor. So are new roles needed in the organization, company? What training is required to, you know, for existing people in their current roles to get them to manage these AI models in production? Is there all things that companies have to think about? And I'll say two more things. I know in this long-winded answer to your short question, I'll say two more things. Um, tools and infrastructure is important and also setting expectations is important. Tools and infrastructure is, you know, you, you build AI models, you, they're containerized, let's say microservices, you deploy them. Um, how, how do you, what is your usage? How, how much load do you expect? How, how much to scale, right? Is it an on-prem? Is it a cloud-based service that's being deployed? What are the onboarding? That is, how do you set it up? How do you train it? How do you deploy it? And how much infrastructure is needed? How many servers, nodes, pods? Um, you know, uh, what is the configuration like? What is the? Uh, how do you collect the payload data? That is the data that's coming in when somebody is using this AI model. How do you save it? How do you make sure that the 
um, the, the compliance and privacy, data privacy requirements are met with all the data that you're collecting. These are all part of the tools and infrastructure that one has to have a plan and and um, and and um, processes for. And finally, setting expectations with end users, right? The end users being not necessarily the companies that are deploying these AI models, it's their end users, right? Who will be using it? Let's say in this particular case, the, the people who are actually ordering um, these, these fast food at fast food centers, they need to also know that the, the order taker is, an, is a new automated speech to text system and uh, that they have to be a little bit patient with it. Sometimes it uh, may get it wrong. And so setting their expectations is important and also setting the expectations for the company who is purchasing this, like let's say the fast food company itself, setting those expectations are important. So I would say, you know, in, in response to all your question, these are all factors, right? Clarity of purpose, time to value, data strategy, skills strategy, tools and infrastructure, and um, uh, the last one was setting expectations. These are all things that are very important to really deploying and getting value out of AI models. Wow, thank you very much. That's, that's a very detailed answer and uh, really puts it into clarity. And I love that you used a, a real um, a case study example with this fast food chain, puts it into uh, perspective, seeing all this rather than um, just uh, concept, abstract concepts. It's, it's actually, I could feel how all this would be applied. Um, Boston Consulting Group uh, came out with a report in October saying that from 2018 to 2020, in 2018, about 40% of enterprises were, had an AI strategy. In 2020, it's now 60% of uh, enterprises have an AI strategy. So it's growing, which is good, which is exciting. Um, however, at the same time, only 10% of enterprises see significant financial returns on their AI investments. Why would you say that is the case? And where are the pitfalls that you're seeing that companies usually trip up on when deploying AI? Yeah, some of the things that uh, I mentioned in you know, the, the journey to AI apply to this question as well. Some, some of it is, first of all, not understanding what AI can, or can and cannot do. There may be hyped up expectations about what AI can deliver. And when you actually deploy AI models, you realize that, that there is more hype than reality and therefore you, you feel disappointed. That could be one thing that could be playing a role. Mm -hmm. Another thing is, um, you know, all the things, the tr companies and enterprises have this, significant need to have AI that is explainable, that is trustworthy, and uh, that is more transparent, right? Uh, of course, secure and all of the other things. So the early, I would say, instantiations of AI models were, you know, many vendors had their AI services, people started using them, People started experimenting with them. But then when you actually have to build it in real-world enterprise-grade, enterprise-scale, 
solutions and fit them into your business processes, you have to have all of these things. It, it, it should be trustworthy. The platform should be robust and, and should be able to explain uh, platform and the AI models, they have to be able to explain what predictions they are making and why. Because in many domains, there is a lot of audit. You know, and one of the the examples here I, I would like to give is the insurance domain, right? Where, let's say you build and built an AI model to to assist in loan approval, right? Insurance domain is something that is highly regulated and has a lot of oversight right if an, if there is an ai model that is making predictions saying you know this person's loan is approved this person's loan is rejected um and you cannot explain why even when there is an audit or when when the 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 borrower is uh, disputing it then it's a it's a problem right if it is if it is let's say unfairly biased on certain attributes like race, gender, um, age, and those sort of things, it's, um, it, there is liability associated with it. So part of, you know, one of the reasons after the initial exploration, companies sort of backed out or said, wait a minute, my explorations are fine, but I really cannot deploy this because you know the system doesn't explain what it's doing in it's unfairly biased it is uh, a black box system i don't know if i can trust it i can't deploy it right so in fact some of the surveys that were done later on i don't have the exact numbers but most companies said for what is the one of the main concerns or one of the main factors that that they care about when they deploy ai is is trust and explainability so coming back to you know why haven't companies been able to really derive value is this that the platforms and the 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 solutions that ai vendors are offering have to be able to support these things that they have to be able to explain they have to be able to uh, to be tra transparent, show how it arrived at the prediction with what variables have influenced it to, to the extent that it can, and um, provide a, a, and sub and have different so, capabilities to to debias, to show how it's making predictions, the explainability and all that. So, and it 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 took a while for companies and vendors to build these capabilities, right? The transparency with the data and transparency with models and all that. So now I would say after the initial hype, we're getting to a point where we have, you know, somewhat more mature AI platforms that are able to offer these capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, IBM, I'll give IBM example. Um, we have a product called OpenScale that allows one to bring in your own AI model wherever you have built it. And you can test it, the bias, the unfair bias for that model on specific factors, specific uh, attributes, and see if the model is behaving fairly or unfairly. And if it is behaving unfairly, you have access to algorithms in the platform that allow you to debias uh, and re change the models and de deploy them again. 
and monitor what it's doing and so on. So there are many of these factors that, that enterprises then realized that unless all these things are in place, I can't really trust this AI model and I can't really put it in production. And I'll give you one other example, an interesting project that I worked on. Um, you say you, you got a lot of data in, in English, you know, social media data, speech data, and all that, and built all these models that, that understand English speech to text, that understand English text and um, can do natural language understanding and all that. And you go to a company and say, you know, a, a global, uh, let's say, financial services company and say, here, I have all of these foundational AI services and we've built an AI solution, a chatbot system. You can deploy it in your environment. The client would go, great. All right. But all my customers speak, you know, 15 different languages. You know, our customers in in the US and the UK speak English, but their accents are also different. And Australia speak English, but their accents are different. Our customers in Spain, um, want, we want to deploy this in Spain too. Does, does your system speak Spanish? Uh, oh, by the way, we have operations in Latin America, but the Spain Spanish is different from Mexican Spanish, which is different from Argentinian and so on. Does it speak all these different Spanish varieties and dialects? Don't. So now you're, um, you know, when you say AI for enterprises and scale, AI has to understand all of these languages as well. And natural language understanding, natural speech to text, all these models have to be trained and available in all these languages. And, and also the language of the industry, financial services, domain, insurance, domain, language, and so on. Like in the case of fast food center, I said it has to understand the menus and the ingredients and so on. These are all things that need to be ready for AI to be enterprise ready. So we are on a journey as industry, I would say. Um, we have to build all of these things and the platforms have to be mature enough to support all of these kind of requirements for companies and the skills within co companies who are consuming these AI models have to come together and they may have to be reskilled in some ways and a little bit with an understanding of AI and how to manage these models. When all of these things happen, that's when companies are ready to really derive value from it, right? We have to prep the whole pipeline with all of these. You know, we need tools for preparing the data. We need tools for managing these models. We need tools to tell us whether a model is fair or not. And if unfair, what, how to fix it. We need tools to tell, help us understand um, how many prediction mistakes it's making and what are the errors and how do we fix it and so on. A lot of factors have to come together and the platforms have to get mature. And it's only now that the platforms are kind of capturing these, this level of concerns for managing the AI models. And once they are mature enough, which they are starting to become now, companies will start to really benefit. And I'm not saying that by saying so that you know, we have to wait until they become mature. Obviously, in some cases, in certain use cases and scenarios, you can just go ahead and start deploying um, AI-based solutions. Chatbots were the first wave, I would say, used by companies specifically to, to uh, you know, see how most frequently asked questions can be addressed by these, you know, chatbots as opposed to humans doing it. And there has been a fair good of you know fair bit of first wave of success, second wave of successes stories in that area, and now companies are starting to move into you know other 
business processes where they're starting to look at AI. So for example, I said AI in IT operations management, it's, it's, it's becoming pretty prevalent where, you know, outages and incidents and issues are automatically detected and, and um, addressed by automated AI systems. And similarly in security management and in other domains, it's starting to make its way. Mm-hmm. Makes me think of the Gartner hype cycle uh, where it feels like from what you're saying that AI has gone through that peak of the other hype part then down to the trough of disillusionment and slowly we're getting out onto this uh, plateau of productivity um, where, as you say, the whole industry is maturing and we understand what we need, um, the different tools we need and how, how AI will go forward. And with that, I have a question. What does the future look like to you? How soon will we get to a stage where more and more companies are able to deploy AI effectively um, and comfortably? And what next? Well, you know, as I said, in some domains already, it is proving its value. It's already there. If you narrow the problem scope, not try to solve general purpose AI, but do narrow AI for specific industries, specific use cases, then you can actually get the accuracies up to a level where it's acceptable. And you can also, you know, in specific domains address, you know, all the rest of the things that I mentioned, such as, you know, the fairness, transparency, explainability, robustness, um, continuous learning aspects of the models and accuracy and all these things, right? Some in some domains it's already there. In some other domains, it is making its way. But as I said, the first point I want to make here is that if you narrow the domain, we can we can have a lot more success. And wherever companies have narrowed it and applied it there, they have had good success. So specifically, you know, for automating things, AI is being used for optimizing things, AI is being used for offering decision support, AI is, is being used. Um, then where where would it go next, right? There is a lot of applicability to augmenting human intelligence right now. And we could say some of these things uh, that we talked about are in that, going in that direction. Then personalization and uh, natural interfaces are the next wave, I would say. When I say personalization, you know, what I mean is, um, you can do all things related to automation, optimization, and all those things, but you want to get to a point where you know the services that are being offered to you are, you know, very special purpose for your your cases, for your scenario. You know, when you are interacting with um, a chatbot, the chatbot really understands your current situation, right? Um, let's say you know you just missed your flight, and um, and it's connected to your calendar system and it understands you know your preferences automatically finds out all the rest of the reservations that can be made for you and uh, gives you a full travel plan an alternate travel plan for you right, right off the bat and you don't have to you know go look for these alternatives should i go change the uh, uh, hotel now or should i change the car reservation now uh, you know that's a personalization example right so there is there is a lot of scope there in personalization, and there is also a lot of scope for providing natural interfaces to AI systems. So, for example, 
right now we are still using dashboards and web pages and tools for interacting with the predictions and um, the the recommendations that ai system is making if our speech to text and um, and they're already there almost but they're all very mature and they're all integrated into the specific use case scenarios you could imagine even in business settings just the way we are asking siri and google now you know questions we don't have to type them in we should be able to say hey show me my sales reports for this this month and um show me how it compares with um, the re- sales for last year around the same time um or show me how many incidents did i have in my it environment in the past one month and uh, compare that with the incidents that i have had in the the month before right i can give these kind of questions just speak it out into to ai system and it should be able to understand translate form the right kind of queries do the right kind of predictions join all the information and give it to me right so this that is the you know at least i would like to think as one wave of what's next for ai in general if we look at what's happening in the industry there is a lot of trend for automation automation and decision support optimization these are all things that are you know pretty much now possible you know from from you know siloed systems to more integrated from only structured data analysis we go to more structured and unstructured data analysis and um from very discrete human and ai handoffs we can now go to more to natural human and ai collaboration um more more human led and maybe ai guided type of t- scenarios we can envision going into more ai led and human guided type of scenarios and again wherever applicable i'm not saying that in all cases ai has to lead human guides it or um human ha- leads and ai can guide it it really depends on the situation and so on but since the question is more about where is ai headed i would like to think that while we are continuing to optimize on scenarios such as um automation optimization decision support and so on we can start to look forward to this next wave of enterprise products and solutions where there's a lot more personalization and a lot more natural interactions with um ai systems well thank you fantastic answer and uh we're already running out of time i can't believe how fast this hour has gone by uh but uh i definitely enjoyed and learned a lot um thank you rama where can our listeners find you and follow you uh to learn more about how your career develops and things that you work on i'm on linkedin Mm-hmm. people can follow me on linkedin i write blog blog posts from time to time on things that i'm working on i'm more on linkedin than on twitter but i am on twitter as well so those mm-hmm. would be the two places to find me fantastic that's that's very cool and uh um what is uh, one book that you can recommend to our listeners okay so i actually would recommend um maybe two <laughs> that's okay that's okay um, one is um i will connect it to ai i'll tell you one book that i've read recently um called bad blood um mm-hmm. it's on the company teranos by mm-hmm. ja- written by jan karus teruru mm-hmm. wall street journal 
in investigative journalist. It's more about uh, how this um, super smart uh, lady, Elizabeth Holmes, um, with a lot of ambition, started this company, Theranos, and, uh, which is mainly meant to be able to detect many kinds of uh, diseases and symptoms and such from your blood, but with just one or two droplets of blood instead of you know taking vials of blood and all that. And it's a real story and um, cut to chase. She is now being prosecuted because there were a lot of uh, claims that she made about the company that um, uh, were not quite true. Anyway, it was a very interesting read. And why do I talk about that book in the context of AI. What the takeaway from me from that is um, that when you are in the field of science, and I'm not necessarily saying that was AI alone per se, there was a lot of, um, you know, diagnostics and, you know, all of that in that particular uh, story, real story. It, being integrity and truthfulness about where your technology is, is super important. If you're too far ahead and in, in your vision and you sold your vision, the reality hasn't met up, but you're still kind of bridging that gap in your mind, uh, you know, either to deceive for the purposes of deceiving or for the purposes that you believe that it will get there. Therefore, you're still going to sell your vision as the reality. That is when things start to really fall apart, right? So one thing that was a real in interesting learning for me from that book is that how important it is to be honest, truthful, and state it as it is. So if an AI system or an AI model, for example, I'll bring it back to AI, is only going to go so far. And that is the current state, not that it cannot go far enough uh, further in the future. But if that is where it is, I think setting those expectations with customers being truthful and honest is a lot more important than selling on a vision that may or may not be achievable. And part of every hype you talked about Gartner's hype cycle. Part of what happens in the industry is we, we tend to get ahead of what is possible. I mean, the vision level, it's it's important. It's good to have that vision. But when you actually sell, you know, it's it's really what is available and what is the art of the possible. So anyway, that book is an interesting lesson learned for all scientists on how to be truthful and honest about the state of their, their work. The other one is an interesting one around, um, it's called Code Zero. Um, I'll, I'll bring up the name of the author. There are multiple books with that same title. Um, just give me a moment. Mark Ellsberg. So this one is an interesting one. It's a, it's a fictional story about how personalized AI can go so far into intruding your lives where it um, can start to give you uh, suggestions on how to change yourself to be a good date um, mm -hmm. when you go on a date, how to, what to say to this person to have a nice conversation. Um, 
that may be against your own personality, but it slowly starts to manipulate you to a point that you're no longer yourself. You're just listening to the the AI system that is just giving you suggestions and you're just taking it and you're now becoming somebody else that you're not. And the dangers of going getting into that and where how come, you know, this fictional company is a social media company uh, starts to go down that slippery path of manipulating people based on their data. In some cases, knowing clearly that they are um, exceeding all the, the, the moral right lines and all that. So it's, that was an interesting, it's a racy thriller kind of a story, but it brought up a lot of interesting questions. Um, mm. And I, I know you asked for books. One other thing I would recommend is this Netflix uh, documentary Social called Dilemma. The Social Dilemma. Yeah, that was also yeah, an interesting yeah. one that brought up a lot of uh, ethical questions around um, recommenders and uh, personalization and those sort of things. Well, I, I, I totally love that documentary. What, what do you think? Do you think we will find a way to get the benefits of AI, but at the same time stay ethical? Like, what, what, what is your feel after this movie? Do we have a chance? Yeah, in fact, interestingly, actually, some of us, I'm part of a co-chair, I'm co-chair for an AI consortium, uh-huh. um, AI council at, the, at this industry consortium called CompTIA. Uh-huh. And um, I, I posted this link on my LinkedIn page. Uh, a few of my colleagues uh, who work with, at CompTIA as part of this AI council, who all work for different companies, we are, we are part of that, writing best practices for building AI models. Actually, many of the things that I talked about today are going to be coming up as uh-huh. um, white papers and such. So we we actually had an afternoon chat about that, di- that social media um, uh-huh. documentary. So coming back to you, answering your question, it is, it's a, there is no, uh, I don't think I can give any better answer than you or anybody else, right? It's a, as, as a human society, we have to find a way to stay true to ourselves and not get, ma- not be manipulated by these AI systems. But it's so hard because we, we've built this web of all these different social media tools and apps that are offering so many conveniences to us and at the same time as part of those conveniences sneaking in so many uh, things that are totally taking us in a different direction and draining our time and emotions emotional and energy and all that adults as adults we are struggling imagine what (laughs) teenagers and kids in their early adolescence phase are going through you know it's it's um, mind-boggling, and you know, the, I think one concrete suggestion that came out that kind of jumped at me when I watched that documentary was one one suggestion that one of the researchers who was being interviewed gave, which said, "If it is a poll, that is, you are asking a quest question. That's a genuine one. It's originated from you. You have some need, and you are asking Google or any kind of search engine or any kind of tool." for information. But when it starts recommending things for you, that's the push from the, the, the their side, you watch for it very carefully as to whether you want to consume it or not, because that suddenly starts to take you in. You're not driving your agenda, they're driving their agenda to you. So mm-hmm. that's one takeaway that I said, that I don't have an answer to your question. I mean, we have, we as humans have to find a way to keep our sanity and our focus, right? Especially these these tools, social media tools are really 
there to offer so many conveniences and useful tools at the same time take away your focus from from number of things that we should be doing in our day we have to find a balance and it's not that easy especially with mm-hmm. with the kind of dopamine kicks that they keep giving so being conscious of pull versus push whose agenda are you serving just being very aware of it all the time whenever we consume it i think is the only way that we can we can drive our agenda as opposed to getting carried away by somebody else's agenda yeah yeah and uh, as you say even as adults it's it's hard to be like aware and conscious of these things and children and um like i feel there i think they mentioned this in the movie as well that legislation has a place yes, but it absolutely. feels like legis- legislation is not keeping up it's know, not like, catching up yeah i mean i think they, the the legislators all around the world actually in all countries are far behind in uh, mm. in catching up to how fast these technologies are emerging and how many different facets there are to them that influence our lives and livelihood and so many other aspects so it's there is legislation definitely has a role to play absolutely mm-hmm. and similarly self control of individuals at an individual level also has a big role to play which is much harder no matter how much legislators legislate in the end it all comes down to your individual discipline and yeah. that is so hard and you know also the education system is also lagging behind mm. schools and um, colleges universities also have to teach the ethics the etiquettes around using social media you know especially in these times when pan- you know we are going through a pandemic and most most students around the world are you know just learning through online media forums they are so much on computers on you know different uh, online courses taking not interacting physically with uh, colleagues friends um in access to everything right there with a click and you know you're listening to your teacher you could be looking like you're looking into your you know zoom session you could be pulling up another browser you know watching something reading something any number of things could happen distractions are gal- galore right mm-hmm. how universities and especially schools middle schools and elementary schools and high schools also have to catch up a lot to to teach the etiquettes and the morals around self discipline and control otherwise it uh, we will become a you know a generation and a society of uh, of uh, you know people who are just in it for the dopamine kicks and we we lose our ability to mm. to focus for longer stretches and to do the kind of deep thinking that many scientists in you know in our previous generations were able to do and invent such you know important things because they were able to take one idea one thought and sit on it for you know whatever time it took to come up with it right it requires that solitude that that time to think any time we 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 are in it for 15 20 minutes max and say oh time for a dopamine kick let's go read mm. this news article mm. let's go do that right we all go through those distractions and more so for children yeah i don't want to end yeah. our conversation on a on a <laughs> panicky note so let's bring it yeah. back to something more positive on the positive <laughs> side right we are all so connected information is accessible so much and we um get to know things and can communicate with our family friends at any time of the day so there are a lot of good things too so 
um we just have to find the the right balance and and uh, uh navigate it carefully yeah yeah like be the master of technology not the other way around exactly awesome Rama, thank you so much. It was a very interesting discussion. I'm I'm very happy that uh, you joined us on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show, Kirill. So there you have it, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Rama Akhiraja as much as I did and got valuable insights. My favorite part of the episode was what Rama mentioned about clarity of purpose. Super important, and also the way she described it made it super clear that uh, the AI, the company that's developing the AI, the company that is consuming the AI, they both need to have uh, clarity of purpose and also time to value, understand the time to value uh, in order to get uh, this value out of the artificial intelligence effectively and uh, actually get the value in the first place. So very interesting, uh, that example with uh, the natural language processing and uh, text speech to text uh, recognition and how depending on the industry depending on the application uh, it will be uh, used differently or it will have different purpose for different industries different companies that was my favorite takeaway i'm sure you have yours there's lots of great insights as usual you can find the show notes uh, for this episode at superdatascience.com 425 that's superdatascience.com 425 there you will find the transcript for this episode uh, any materials and books that were mentioned on the podcast, as well as the URL to Rama's uh, LinkedIn and uh, Twitter, where you can connect with her and follow her in her career. If you enjoyed this episode and you know somebody who would uh, benefit from uh, understanding better how AI has matured over the years and how enterprises can apply artificial intelligence uh, to more success, uh, then send them this episode. Very easy to share. Just send them the link, superdatascience.com slash 425, and they'll be able to access both the audio and video and choose what they would prefer to listen to or watch. And on that note, thank you so much for being here today. I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>